you're looking for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Recording, hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. recording podcast episode 115 what's up neil what's up man welcome back yeah thanks man missed you buddy i missed you too it's been what about two and a half weeks since That's we right. recorded a podcast seems like forever <laughs> <laughs> it's a bromance <laughs> it is man don't, don't let anybody tell you different <laughs> well you guys hear our guest tonight he's already singing to you so we got another great guest we've got scott t smith with us tonight welcome scott howdy ho how hey, y'all yeah. doing doing yeah, great well, man happy to have you yeah, yeah glad, glad we could finally too. get you in here man yeah, I'm sorry. I've been like the pretty girl in, in middle school. You couldn't get the name of. I've been running from you for too long. It's okay. It's, it's how I know that it's going to be a good friendship. Persistency yeah. pays, man. Persistency oh, yeah. pays. Oh, yeah. There we go. We had to come watch you play live and all that stuff yep, first. Before. Yep. No. Yeah. I was just, I was vetting you while you were vetting me. And now we're all hanging out. It's a good time. There we go. Now we're in here. <laughs> What'd you bring us, Neil? Man, I had a... Uh, the bourbon angel dropped off another bourbon today. Uh, and that guy. JR. Heck yeah. Me, Brian, man, I'm, I'm just walking down the road, uh, you know, at the end of my route, and all of a sudden a brown bag gets stuck out a window. Hey, man, come here. Got something <laughs> for you. I'm like, what? And I opened it up, and it's a Sazerac Rise. Like, dude. Yeah. Man, last time, I think uh, Kiana, was it Kiana in the Sun Kings when we had the Sazerac last time? Because it did not last long. Did we, we've had this on the podcast before? Oh, yeah. It was a seven-person night. That's what I remember, because I mm -hmm. think, I think we got like one and a half drinks. That's who it was. I was told that there was a full band in here, and I was like, who was <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's a full band. That's a full, a full, full, that's full, a full band. band. And I was heard that that <laughs> one mic, one shot sounded amazing. I've listened to it a couple times back. Oh, yeah. 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 And they're amazing. They, they're great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we're we'll, we'll get, very lucky. We'll at least get more than one... Uh, one poor, yeah, you know, dude. You know, we're definitely just three. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say between the three of us, I'm gonna need it anyway. Well, yeah. Cheers, get a couple. Cheers, hey, cheers. cheers, cheers, Scott. Scott. Coming in. Cheers, Scott. I can't reach you, but clink to you. Ah, oh, I actually feel like I need this today. Yeah, me too, buddy. Me too. Mm. That, that is really, really smooth. You know. No, but I do want to say thank you to having me on the show and oh, absolutely oh, supporting what I'm doing. Yeah. No, man. Seriously, thank you. Yeah. We've we've been fans for a while, so with. For uh, to get you finally get you in here, it's nice. One of those, uh, you know, kind of list guys again. That mm -hmm. when we put things together, uh, 115 episodes ago, we kind of both put together a list of uh, mentally 
of people we'd like to have in. Mm-hmm. You, you were at the top of the list. So it's uh, nice to get you in here. If I remember, sure. I think we sat in here after one podcast and uh, listened to Wanted Man, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how, that's how it came about. Mm-hmm. I think it just come out. Yeah. Yeah. It's been two years now. Yeah, and we okay. started about yeah, two years ago. We started ago. about two years ago, yeah. a little bit over two years. Yeah, yeah. and it was early on. Yeah. The amount of ground I've traveled in two years. It's... Can't wait to hear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Scott, we always start the podcast with the same question, so we'll ask you to go back to childhood mm-hmm. and start and, and share your early memories of music and then maybe when you realized the music was going to be a big part of your life. Yeah, you know, for me, I'm getting chills right now even. And and chills these days mean different things to me. I lost my dad about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so funny because I remember not having to remember a life without music. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just always there. My mom can sing. My mama, I always tell people I'm just a rerun. I'm just wearing the T-shirt. You know, I ain't, I ain't nothing new, buddy. <laughs> she's, she's even a little crazier than I am. <laughs> and she's, she's the kick. original, huh? She, she came to Louisville for my birthday on October 2nd, and it ain't ever been the same. So <laughs> we stayed up till 5 a.m. I think she's 67. I didn't say that on, on live, but, you know, you can, you can edit we'll it to say it she's, she's 42 or something. She's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, making an appropriate age difference between us. But my mom can sing. And so, you know, when she was trying to soothe me, she would sing to me. And she she's real funny. She she was telling me that I would either put my hand on her throat or I would put my hand, my finger over her lips, which means I didn't want her to sing. (laughs) So I've either, as she said, I've always been picky. (laughs) <laughs> and I've, uh, I've always really enjoyed music. And my dad is what I now know is what we refer to as an audiophile. Ah. His collection, uh, it spanned uh, not just multiple genres. It, it was truly one of the more eclectic collections I've ever seen. And uh, it, it didn't just go from his artist favorite albums or top tracks or greatest hits he had those but he also had their formidable years he had their their deep cuts that he would show me and there was just always music on in our house Mm -hmm. on on saturdays i would wake up uh, from a very young age i remember hearing doo-wop fill the house uh as i'd come to and i could hear it trailing out of the back great room where he had his sound system set up and you know you'd go down and Maybe breakfast would be cooked. Maybe it wouldn't. And he'd be trying to sing along to the <laughs> to the falsetto parts, and my mom would be rolling her eyes like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> That's how I grew up, man. And I grew Scott up. just walked yeah. across the room and yeah. put his finger on Dad's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because like it just kept going and never stopped. I mean, as I got older, there were just more genres, and my dad was always honest with me. He was like, "You know, I never really got into rock and roll." He was like, I never really uh, got into folk music, but everything else in between, it was all there. Classical, doo-wop, golden era, big band, and all the way into the jazz classics, Sarah Vaughn, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to modern day R&B, which for me starts in the 90s or late 80s, I should say, because that was theirs. You know, they were adult, they were grown folks during that. And so you had Luther Vandross in the house and, mm-hmm. uh, you had, you had these, 
vocalist. Like I, I, I touched on it this last weekend in my set for the first time. I was really proud of myself. I sang an Aaron Neville track. Nice. I sang oh, yeah. Yellow that's Moon. Not, that's not easy. No, it's not. And he was one of the first vocalists that my mom and dad sat me down and said, "This is, this is, this is the top. Mm. This is what it looks like to be the top." And he, they said that to me over Luther Vandross as well. Like, if you want to know what true vocal performance and capability sounds like, well, then just sit and listen. And they would. They would make me sit and listen. Yeah, <laughs> you dude. know, they'd just say, come here, come here, sit down. And just, they'd make me listen presently, you know. They're, they're educating you, man. Yeah, and they did. I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't, you know, somebody was asking me when I chose to be a musician. I, I, don't, I don't think I ever had a choice. Mm. I tried to be everything but. Yeah. Yeah, I'm only 29, but I've done so much with my hands and with my with my uh, potential um, job fields. I mean, I went from studying international affairs at Marshall University uh, and on the edge of, <laughs> I had started the communications with a, with a recruiter. I had run out of money for school. And they they know that look in your eye when you're walking through the student rec center. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was always <laughs> on my way to work. I was always on my way to class, and I was always tired. And I think one day I just looked defeated, and he goes, hey, man, I'd like to talk to you about your options. And <laughs> sure enough, I was going to do green to gold, and uh, I was going to enlist, and then commission. I was going to do, like, the latter like where you, you go in and you, you give them your time while you're in college, but they let you finish your degree and then you get to commission as an officer. Hmm. And then I met Ben Sully. Like right as I'm having all those conversations, right as I'm working on my paperwork, they're measuring my neck, figure out how much weight I need to lose and this and that. Really? And I met Ben Sully like within the next month. So where, where uh, how old were you in this seven? What year? 2022. 20, I was like, yeah, I was just, it was just over 21, 22 years old. I'm at Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. And, uh, so yeah. at 22, you're, I mean, you're on the backside of school, right? Yeah. 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 I'm on, I'm on my, my downward. I'm on junior. I'm a junior that's stressed and taking way too many hours and working three jobs. So do you think, time. do you think mm-hmm. that's what kind of led to you even thinking that's an option or at least in, in entertaining it as an option? Well, yeah. I mean, my family, like during BLM summer, I remember being so torn because my family has a long service history. Mm-hmm. We are police officers. We are uh, U.S. Marshals. We are lieutenants in the Army. We are, I mean, just you say it and like somebody, I'm related to Tuskegee Airmen. You know, like my grandfather was a lieutenant in the uh, NYPD for a number of years. And, you know, I was just raised to be subordinate with respect for myself. There's a difference. Like you can respect yourself and other people and still be subordinate. Mm -hmm. And I just, I say that I bring that up because for me, there was, it wasn't that my, my, my dad didn't serve. My dad was one of the first generation to not serve. Um, he was in school during Vietnam and he was studying English. And I think that with that generational gap that had been created because of Vietnam and my dad and his brothers being in college, I don't, I don't, I know more than ever that it was just something that was inside of me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my dad saying, you got to serve or you should, you could, or you would. It was just like my whole high school career, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely probably 
do some time in, in, in the service mm. and set up my life. And when the time came, I was so scared. I was so nervous. Uh, I was looking for a way out. I was mm -hmm. studying international affairs and I was loving it. I was loving learning. But you got to remember, like Obama was in office and they had just killed that, uh, that U.S. senator, that ambassador. Mm -hmm. And Over in nothing, yeah, yeah, yeah. During they just made the movie about it. Finally, was it after Benghazi mm -hmm, in Benghazi, okay, yeah. and everybody, every single student that was studying foreign diplomacy was like, "Is that that's an option that can happen?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not. Like, there's dude. no response. There's no. We're not even going to talk about it. We're not going to like. What do you mean? His family got slaughtered. <sighs> like, yeah. what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it made a lot of people think twice. Um, so even when you were in school kind of doing the international studies, I mean, that, that kind of does streamline to, if you did decide to make that leap, it almost seems like you subconsciously put yourself in position to where if you did pull the trigger on deciding to go, mm -hmm. you were in a great position. Oh yeah. I was going to go and I, I was always positioning myself to be in, in good standing. Like I mm -hmm. wanted, I wanted my freedom for me. It's always been about freedom. I, I was too busy rock climbing and snowboarding and riding mm -hmm. dirt bikes with my friends. I just wanted to be myself through yeah. college. And so I was going to do me through college and I was going to, I was going to, um, not uh, enlist, but I was going to commission as an officer with my degree. And that's when I ran out of money. I wasn't, I wasn't writing music. I was in a rock band, uh, that had become more serious than I thought it would be. But up until this point, you got to remember, I was just a boy from West Virginia who started playing guitar and singing so that he could lead worship in his church because they needed somebody. No kidding. And that's all it was. That's all it ever was for me. I was just trying to be the best boy I could be. So how did meeting Ben Soli change your trajectory there? She boy! <laughs> oh, my God. Because it so, sounds like that's where it happened, right? So I, I gave you the perfect setup for this story. I grew up listening to doo-wop. I grew up listening to golden oldies and Sam Cooke was just always in my Sam ear. Sam Cooke, dude. Live at the Fillmore is one of the baddest Sam Cooke albums. Woo! You nope. send me... Live at the Copacabana. Oh, oh yeah. he goes yeah. off at that one. That record's unbelievable. Yeah, and you know oh. why? I think he, it was unbelievable because he was performing to his people. Like, mm -hmm. you know, how many times as a performer was he performing to all white audiences? Yeah. Uh, representing black excellence, but that Copa show, that Copa show it was obvious that the whole neighborhood showed up. Like they were <laughs> hooping and hollering, and, yeah. he, and yeah. he's different too. Yeah, he's, he's it's like his tie. Yes, his tie is loose in yeah, that album. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, that, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna go home and listen to about it. it right I'm now. gonna go home and listen to it. <laughs> I tell you what, I bought a record player. Uh, I don't know. It's been about six years, and that was one of the first albums that I got for it. And I guarantee you. If you go pick it up, that album is on the record player right now because it, I've listened to it so many times. Yeah. It's just phenomenal, yeah, dude. Front no. side, back side. I mean, he's got sing-alongs on this thing. It's oh, yeah. ridiculous. That's, it's insane. He's got sing Yeah. It's so good. So, so good. Here I am. I'm a sentient, moody teenager <laughs> listening to everything from heavy deathcore metal to Sam Cooke radio on Pandora. And everything in between, classical music when I need a break. And so what I left out was in the third grade, they ask you what you want to do. You want to play 
in the orchestra? Do you want to be in the band? Do you want to sing in choir? And I was like, well, I want to do a couple different things. And they were like, well, we only say you could choose one. So after talking to my parents, they let me do both. I started singing in choir and I started playing the cello. Huh. And so I played the cello up until I was 14 or 15 years old. Moved to West Virginia when I was pretty young. And I tried to keep up with the cello, but it was hard in West Virginia. They're just, there was a, a youth orchestra, a youth symphony in Charleston, which is the capital. And it's, it's a great opportunity for classical uh, musicians that are younger in that, that state. But it's a time commitment. And if you don't live in Charleston, it's a bit of a stretch. So we were living about 40 minutes away from where we would have rehearsed and it just got to be too much. Yeah, I could imagine as a parent so, how hard that would be. Yeah, so I'm I'm on the back end of playing cello and I'm listening to my Sam Cooke radio, cleaning my my little room and A Change Is Gonna Come by Ben Sully comes on. And I remember being perplexed with emotions. I was like, this is really cool this is really not okay. <laughs> like, I was like, you know, it's like, but it was like, he's changing the words to one of the most, the like, most um, iconic. iconic songs of the, like, of uh, just the, the, the movement that was. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I loved his boldness. I loved his uh, reinvention of it. Uh, I loved his authenticity. You could hear it um, in his voice. Mm -hmm. And, I love that he played the cello. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah. Yeah. who makes that a lead instrument? Yeah, no, it's, it really, it showed me uh, a path internally that was never offered to me. Like, no one ever put a cello concerto in front of me. Nobody ever told me that I could play anything other than my part in the orchestra, you know, arrangement, which was, when, I'll be honest with you, when you're playing cello, for at that point I'd been playing for probably eight years, nine years. I mean, I was, I was bored. Yeah. You know, I needed to play a melody that I wanted to play. I didn't need to play the melody that somebody had written yeah. or mm -hmm. a baseline, a baseline to the, you know, yeah. as essentially how I look at it now. Yeah. And, uh, Ben was, he took not only what he was doing classically, but he, he took what he learned. Now I know from his, his grandfather, Elvis and, his father, who was an R&B musician, and he just was ahead of his curb in, in melding them all together. He just figured out, he figured out something at a young age that I'm trying to figure out right now at 30 years old. And that's mm -hmm. how to authentically put everything that I have heard into my own authentic sound. Uh, he created a different way to play the cello. <laughs> and you, you almost wonder if, Ben just being Ben didn't even think about it. No. You know, man, it's he just, was just playing. I'm just playing the cello. He was just hustling, man. He was just yeah. getting after it. He was 17 when he went on the road. That's insane. You know, he was playing Woodsong when he was younger than that. <sighs> I, I, don't, I, I think that at some point you don't think, you just do. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's when I'm realizing, and somebody told me that the other day, like the more time I spend on the road, the more I will flesh my sound out. Mm -hmm. The more time you spend with it, the more you, you get to just feel out what feels good. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and I get to see all of this come together. And so fast forward to 22 years old, I've been listening to Ben now for almost, you know, five some odd years. And he comes to 
he comes to uh, Huntington, West Virginia, where I was living at the time. He played at what used to be a biker bar, you know, and I was like, what's Ben Soli doing playing at the V Club? That's where my <laughs> rock band plays. Man. That don't make no sense. And I show up late. I just got off. Heck yeah. I just got off my job. Um, I worked at the Olive Garden. I worked at this place called the Jug and Kilt. And, uh, <laughs> the Jug and Kilt. Yeah, I was the only guy that worked there. It's not a bad gig, right? <laughs> it wasn't, but it was also, yes. Because like, I told people this all the time, like, boys when they're little are taught skirt etiquette. Like, mm-hmm. don't put you, don't, don't mm-hmm. do that. Personal space. Keep your hands to yourself. Women aren't taught that. <laughs> and so I would be walking by with my pretty legs out. <laughs> and they just want to know what was up on my kilt. So I get done getting harassed at a shift at the jug and kilt. I'm on my way home. And somebody's like, your favorite singing cellist is at the V Club. And I was like, no, nah, don't play with me like that, man. Come on now. <laughs> they go, your favorite singing cellist is at the V Club. And I was like, but the show's been going on for... So you didn't know he was coming until that I day. I didn't even know. Yeah. I didn't even know until oh, that no. day. I didn't know until... I didn't even bring a change of clothes. And I'm in a kilt. <laughs> and I go... <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and, uh, and I just went straight to the show. In a kill. <laughs> I went straight to the show in a kill. Yeah. In my kill. Showstopper, and, dude. And, uh, it's a showstopper. Everybody goes, yeah. Who's doing Who's this guy walking in? Who's getting killed, man? Bro, I'm dancing, singing along. <laughs> I'm singing the harmonies to all my favorite Ben Sully songs. No kidding. High harmonies. I'm belting at the top of my lungs. And Ben's side of the story is to this day that... This angel in a kilt comes and <laughs> he's like, it was a sleepy show in a sleepy town <laughs> at the end of a long tour. And you woke it up. <laughs> and I woke it up. <laughs> he said, because the guy let me in for free. I got there so late. And he's like, they're almost done. And between them pushing the show back and between Jordan and him being who they are, just like getting into their groove, I came in probably right about when they, they might have ended if they weren't having fun and something shifted and we all started having fun it wasn't just the three of us it was everybody i mean the whole crowd just like lit up we started a dance party or something i don't needed a dude in a kilt to walk through the door <laughs> and just start dancing I, and singing it's proof in the pudding that maybe i need to get back into a kill <laughs> and uh yeah after the concert you know you asked me how ben soli changed the trajectory not of only me joining the military but of my life, you know, I think that night, you know, I waited till the end. Of, I, it wasn't my first rodeo. Mm-hmm. And like, I knew if I wanted to talk to him, I had to wait till the very end of the line. So I did. And he, pretty quickly, he he was running the conversation. I was like, just going to say, hey, man, I've been listening to you for a long time. Love to buy one of your albums. Thank you so much for doing what you do. And halfway in, he's like, well, where's your music? Well, I don't have any music. Well, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, okay, I'm doing the, you know, like mm-hmm. what's going on here? I'm getting, I'm getting the fifth degree. And then he was the first person to ever ask me this, uh, in this way. And I know it for a fact. He said, are you happy? Huh. Yeah. And I was just like, no, hell no. Pretty quick. It was pretty, just felt. So you have know. you, have you guys talked about why he took the conversation that direction? You know, I don't need to, because now I'm Ben's family, and I I know Ben. That's just Ben, bub. <laughs> That's yeah. just who Ben is. Ben, he, I'll never forget going on the road with him for the first time. So, 
speed the story up. Ben gets my number. We stay in touch and I'm, I'm just lost. Like I said, that whole summer, I'm just trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do. School wasn't going good. I was contemplating, like I said, just going straight into the military early. And he, uh, he texted me in August, late August. I, you know, I'm already enlisted in school again. And he's like, At least you said school. Yeah. You can back out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, right, right. And uh, I'm already got like my classes for the semester. And he goes, he texts me. He says, hey, man, what are you doing September 15th through like 30th or something like that? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> Knowing good and well, I'd already be in class. And he goes, well, I'd like to bring you on the road with me. And I went down uh, to the Bursar's office with Drew. And I never looked back. I never even looked back. Uh, it's, it's been almost five years now that I've lived in Louisville. It's been about almost seven and a half years of knowing Ben and being a part of his bigger, greater family. And, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things. It's not just who Ben is. It's, it's the, it's the, the, the truth about every artist that isn't so ate up with their own ego is that you want to see more of it exist. Mm. You just want to see more. It's just like now, I, I just want to see more room for young people that that look like me or come from backgrounds that are similar. I, I know more now that that means that does not mean that they're black from Appalachia, that they're just from a different part of the world. And there's not many people that, that they can look at to represent mm. what they want to do. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have a race or a creed or a religion attached to it. Yeah. And... I just want to see more people realize they can push into an uncomfortable but necessary place for their health, yeah. for their opportunities to expand what their talents are, what they're, they're supposed to bring to the world, man. Like, I wouldn't be out here with my guitar creating space for people if it wasn't for Ben Sully. Mm. And that's a wild thing. Like, I mean, dude, that, you know, I was, that was actually the question I was going to ask that you answered prior to. I mean, you just take a second to go, all right, that conversation doesn't happen. I don't get that person that when I'm getting off work that says your favorite mm -hmm. singing celloist is playing down the road at the place you play. And you go home at the end of the night, you're frustrated. You still have the entire uh, frustration of college life and wondering if you're going to enlist in, in the military, more or less go back to school. Mm -hmm. Where does anything change if you don't have that conversation? I mean, I, yeah. I would think that it would because sometimes things shine through and yeah. talent and, and uh, desires and being in that angsty place at, at your, you know, 21, 22, it's kind of where you're supposed to be. You're kind yeah. of supposed to be frustrated and figuring things out. So I think that there's some way you break through that on your own, but at the same time, you don't have that conversation. Well, you know, I think that, there's a truth to, I was going to start singing. Was I going to start singing my own songs? Was I going to have somebody that was patient and stern and talented to challenge my talent? You know, it, it, it was going to take a certain level of stubbornness to deal with my stubbornness. It was going to take a certain level of talent to teach me how to be practiced as a talented person, it was going to take a certain level of unconditional love to also accept that young boy 
who was going to mess up as he was becoming. Those are like, if you if you don't have somebody in your life at 21 and 22 years old that you can look at and that can talk you through some of those awkward coming of age things. I mean, like that there, that is a dangerous time in, in anyone's life Absolutely. Oh, yeah. to be taken advantage of, or just to become bitter or just to miss the boat that was always meant for you. You know, it, it's, it's insane, man, because yeah. you just, uh, between that and wondering about where things would be, uh, he, you know, you look at, the way that things led to where you're releasing your own record. And, and I looked at all the credits and it's you and Ben Sully wrote everything together. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, it's just like that, that relationship creates this amazing art that we end up getting out of it. And, and anytime that you're in a situation like that, I mean, you've got to be even bonding even more yeah. and becoming closer and, and getting that challenge. Like you said, you yeah. said the great word challenge. And another, the big question I, I think I have to have with the Ben Sully in that situation because it's somebody who you knew and who you respected before you ever met. I'm sure mm-hmm. when you were out playing in, in the rock band and I'm sure doing a bunch of cover stuff before you all really started taking it seriously. Yeah. You had a million people tell you how great you are. You're, oh. the, you're the best singer I've ever heard. Yeah. You are so good on stage or this and that. Yeah. But for Ben at a point where he's a you know, traveling musician and been in all the things to it almost takes him who you respect and have all this uh, reverence for, for when he says, Hey man, are you happy? That's a different question coming from him than it is coming from somebody that just saw you play a show. Hey, that was yeah. great. Are you happy? It doesn't matter. Mm-mm. You know, it, it's, and, and kind of what you talked about bringing other people into the fold and get more people involved. It's the same thing you're doing now. It's kind of, you know, re- re- repeating itself, which is always amazing to see. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want it to, yeah, it's like, you know, I think about artists that exist in my family and that I've got to watch so far. You know, I think about Ellie Ruth that was here not, (laughs) not even three or four weeks ago. (laughs) And like, amazing. Ellie, you know, only credit I take in that woman's life is that I make her breakfast sometimes because she's my best friend, you know, like come over here and drink some coffee with me and let me cook for you, you know, and get a whole bunch of my friends over. And I'm like, you know, that's the only credit. I, the only credit I take is that every now and again, I get to buy her a beer after yeah. a show, you know, but I do get a front seat to watching her figure out who she is as an artist. God, it's a, it's a great yeah. journey to watch, man. Cause good Lord, she's yeah. just, you everything know, she does is like, Good Lord. It's, it's, <laughs> it's different and it's authentic and it's like Ben Sully playing his cello. <laughs> yeah. It's how I feel when I watch her throw her violent, uh, her viola sideways and start playing it like a man did. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> let's listen to a Scott Smith song. Tell us, uh, let's, let's start with Wolves. Tell us about that one. Yeah. Wolves is, it, it goes back to the, 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 what was I calling it? The great room. I think that's what we used to call it where my dad's sound system was set up. And this is probably, I remember when Ben was, you know, asking me about what this song meant. I was like, well, this is the first time that I'm letting people in to the sphere of my family. It was the first time I was vulnerable in my lyrics. Mm. But it's also the first and only time on this album that you'll hear me lean into soul. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, let's check it out. All right. Mm-hmm. 
just like mine My daddy's got heavy hands that you hope he does not use And I've been using mine just to pull my way through saying that i always say the funny thing <laughs> the, uh, what's so funny about that huh you tell well, me what's it, so funny i'll tell you what's funny what's funny about that i'll tell you what's funny about that as amazing as that sounds i think it's better live just because i've heard you sing live i'm like damn he sounds just as good live it's uh, you hey, hit all those notes man <laughs> yeah hit all those notes yeah <laughs> i learned in that rock band recording that project uh that that producers will always see things uh, that you can't, and that's the, that's the healthy relationship with an artist and a producer. Mm-hmm. But it's your job as a performer to to assume the role that you can perform. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, producers will either try to bend your notes through auto tune or through you know I don't know just okay just sing that one note just studio, sing that one note studio trick yeah 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 come yeah, on yeah, let's yeah. just sing just sing that one word for me <laughs> just sing that we're gonna folk we're gonna get zoom in real quick on that one <laughs> that one phrase come on come on come on and you know you gotta be careful because they'll they'll put you in a situation now where you can't sing that live oh yeah and people want what they hear on your album. They don't just want what you hear on your album. They want what they hear on your album with all of the energy and all the presence mm-hmm. of a live performance. So I pride myself in my falsetto being able to 
hang. Yeah. It hangs, man. It hangs out. It's it, it's from doo It's from singing along to all those crazy, crazy talented uh, uh, tenors, you know? Like tenor tunes and stuff yeah, like that, Yeah, the dude. spinners. I remember, mm-hmm. I think my first concert was the spinners at a racetrack in Ohio with my uncle Bob, my great uncle no Bob. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like five, maybe six. And they were up there. <laughs> you know what? It, it, there's a version of the spinners that are probably still going today and they're probably just as good. Yep. New group, all new, new people. Group, all new people. Spinners <laughs> are still... Because that's about how it was when I was five or six. Yeah. It was like one original dude up there. Yeah. yeah. That's the way it is, <laughs> dude. You got, the, touching, though. you got three 30-year-olds and Spin. one 74-year-old man that's Basically. the original guy. <laughs> <laughs> got a tribute band. Yeah. Daggone, man. Daggone. I hope. Maybe one day somebody have a tribute, man, to Scott T. Scott, Smith. Scott T. Smith tribute, man. <laughs> we were talking about your R&B influence and being a Sam Cooke fan, and while you guys were talking about that, I was trying to think of the movie with Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali, and then I remembered it. It was One Night in Miami. You guys oh, seen yeah, that? No, no, I haven't it's awesome. seen it yet. It's awesome. Awesome. You, you need to watch it, Scott. I've heard I've One Night in Miami's good. good. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. To check that out. Sam Cooke, man, he talked about a strange story. His friends are all old enough. The most recent Sam Cooke documentary is probably the best one that's ever been made. You don't, not that you don't need to waste your time or anything with the others. They're not, you're not wasting your time. There's a lot of good history in there, but the most recent one they made, his friends are all old enough. They don't care anymore. And they just yeah, tell, they, they tell, tell the truth. Like, yeah. They're just like, this is what I think happened. They're like, I was close enough to him and I was also in the industry and I was also an executive and I was also, they're like, I think this is what happened. And it's, yeah. it's pretty heavy. I need to watch it. what you're telling me. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's a part of the truth that still exists today. You know, uh, this, this wheel that was invented was not invented by people for always the most honest intentions, mm-hmm. you know, and they have been and continue to make a lot of money off of very talented individuals. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, if somebody is threatening that, well, then that feels like a threat on them. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I yeah. definitely got to watch that. Yeah, and Sam, <laughs> yeah, Sam <laughs> Cook was definitely threatening that. I mean, back then for somebody to talk, an artist, you know, it's like Prince made leaps and bounds for artists all over the world, setting president, you know. But uh, Sam Cook was trying to, he was trying to break the wheel. He wasn't trying to reinvent it. He was trying to break it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's common practice now for an artist to own yeah. their own music, but he was trying to own his own music and create a label for artists to to be safe under, and they just didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Oh, could you imagine that? I mean, Getting in their wallets. Especially Ooh. then. I mean, back in those days, if you really, if you if that was created then, the music industry would be completely different now. Oh, absolutely. It would be a different, it would be so built for the artists. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, it's, you know. I think it's starting to shift that way. I hope so. It's yeah. definitely becoming more accessible to anybody that wants to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, I don't know. I, I, yeah. You know. I don't yeah. either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like in the middle of it right now. Well, I still don't know. It's definitely easier to get your music out there, but... There's so much out there now. It's how to make your music, you know, stand out mm-hmm. and be listened to. Yes and no. I mean, that, you know, it's kind of one of those things like there's a there's a lot of that. How do you make, how do you step out and how do you get yourself heard? Um, but there's also that, that 
there's a level. There's levels to this game. And I think that the top, the cream rises to the top. So when you got a Scott Smith or a Carly Johnson or a Ben Soley that puts something out and 50 other people put something out, well, the good stuff's going to be the stuff that eventually I think gets heard and, and gets around. And it may not be instantaneous like you wish it would in this this yeah. world this day. Um, uh, no? How many times have you been in Nashville or, or really anywhere and you go into a club or, uh, you know, even a little hole-in-the-wall bar and you hear artists that's yeah better than most of what you hear well, I, on I the radio. I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, those guys are playing other people's shit. So... No, I'm talking original. Yeah. I'm, I've never really been on the strip and heard much original. Now, I've been, you know, like the Bluebird Nights and stuff like that, and it's, it's hit and miss. Mm-hmm. But as far as players, I mean, you're in the player capital of the world when it comes to music in Nashville. You expect to see that. The real question is, what can you write on that guitar that you're playing so unbelievably? What type of music do you have? Does it sound like everything else in this city? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that kind of help yeah. set somebody apart. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah, you know when you hear somebody that's uh, exceptional. Yeah. But, and you yeah, know when you yeah. see somebody that's in- exceptional, yeah, when you yeah. visually put that together, put everything together and see it and hear it. And sometimes it's undeniable. Sometimes I, yeah. people get lucky. <laughs> I think about this a lot. I mean, I think about this more than most probably. Um, and I think that because I don't have family in the industry, because I don't have uh, family that are going to support me and because I don't have um, record labels courting me right now, I think about this in a really uh, unique kind of way as well. Because you got to think about, I mean, when I say I think about this a lot, I think about this a lot. The category of artists that you just talked about, the talented people that you've never heard of playing somewhere in Nashville, well, how many of them have chose to wear the hat that is a writer because that's a life. That's a life. That's a life. Mm -hmm. That's a life you can choose to live and it'll pay your rent and it'll pay for your food. And then everything else you make on top of that is the lavishness that you desire, you know, whether car, this or that, or vacations. That's a great point there. Cause it, you know, it could mean, people are going to have different definitions of what success mm-hmm. in the music business is. And it's not, yeah. it's not, not always, you know, mm-hmm. playing to that crowd of 15 to 25,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no, there's, there's also, you got to talk about what's good for you. You know, when I played to a crowd, like I did a Bach fest that, you know, they can't project how many people are going to show up. But when there's like a thousand people in my sight line and when there's 3,000 people out there just walking around that I can't see somewhere beyond, you know, just doing things at the back end of the festival, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of energy that you're putting out of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I was beat down a few days after that. Like, that that might continue to get worse as I became, as I become more successful within the shows I get to play. That doesn't mean I'm not successful or that doesn't mean I am successful, but the, the shows in the trajectory I'm on, well, that's, that's its own measure of success. Like right now I'm playing this show and that show next year might look like this and that show next year might look like that. Mm-hmm. But if I deem at some point that's not a good look for me, well, then I can see how one day you might be walking down 
a street in Nashville off the off the beaten path, you might find me playing to a crowd of twenty people, real happy, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. selling my songs yeah. on the weekdays. Yeah. yeah, but then there's another way to look at this: is that some of those people just have poor attitudes. This is not the '70s anymore. Mm-hmm. Rock stars are dead, and they are, yep. and and entrepreneurs, yeah, have been born. You cannot well put, be an asshole. I repeat, you cannot be an asshole. If you don't see that on the news right now, and I'm not even saying names, I'm just talking about like the news and then like stamp a decade on it. We are being watched. Even yeah. if you don't have a name to yourself, you have, you're being watched. All these celebrities defending themselves from two decades ago on Twitter you know, on, on this and that, something they said that was culturally acceptable at the time and is no longer. Well, you know, I have my own thoughts about cancel culture. You don't give anybody a road back when you cancel anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just sending them to wherever, <laughs> wherever the lost boys go. <laughs> That's, yeah. That is not Never Neverland, I'll tell you that right now. Right. And uh, it, it goes the same for your career. You will send your career to wherever the lost boys go if you continue to think that your talent demands you a certain level of access in this world, mm. the only access I've ever been given is the access I've earned. Yeah. And no, as, as you're talking here, it made me think I, I saw on your Instagram, you know, you can tell you're, uh, you're into the outdoors. Mm-hmm. It seems like you like your solitude. You like to spend some time out in nature. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's how hard does to that get a hold of me too? Because <laughs> I like all that. Yeah. But then, as as you're talking right now, and we're talking yeah. about you know what success is. I mean, that's. I guess that could be considered by a lot to be a, a struggle if if mm-hmm. you're in the music business. You know, if you're somebody yeah. that likes your solitude, and then mm-hmm. on the other side, you got to. You know, if you're if you're an introverted person, that's going to drain your energy when you have when you're doing these types of shows. And you know, if you're somebody, maybe if you're not an introvert, might not be the word, but you're just someone that yeah. likes that solitude and peace. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm learning more and more every day that the only energy I can give is the energy I have. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're we're little nuclear reactors. Humans are, and we're also on top of that, like a nuclear reactor. We're temperamental. And uh, I grew up in Chemical Valley. So <laughs> a lot of my boys, friends, and their dads, you know, they grew up to be nuclear reactor technicians or their dads were working the third shifts while we were hanging out trying to not get caught doing whatever we were doing we shouldn't <laughs> have been doing. And uh, my most formidable girlfriend in college, her dad was a boiler maker. And uh, he, would, he, he told me stories of, you know, traveling all over the world welding these boilers together for these nuclear reactors and it's funny because truly if you don't give yourself all the elements that you need to be level you will combust you just will there's no doubt about it and and i Mm -hmm. I truly believe the older i get the more i will realize that uh there's a time and a place to be social and there's a time and a place to rest and then with the rest comes the the quality of being social you know you know so all right so um when you're talking about like you 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 know you said you thought about this a lot lately as far as the music industry and yeah and and does part of you is part of that thought process and kind of like how much of myself do i want to give up how much of my how much am i willing to give 
everybody else? Mm-hmm. And, and am I willing to give enough uh, to mess with what you have in the solitude and in those moments where you gather yourself and, and, and regenerate and do those things? Is that is that part of the balance? Is that part of the thought process for you right now? Is like, how big do I want to go? Mm-hmm. It's access. Yeah. It's access. It's like, mm-hmm. how much access do I want them to have? Yeah. To me. And I'm realizing that the ones that have it really figured out are the ones that continue to perform in their representation of access. If you can give people an authentic experience and that you can give them quality music and then on top of that content that doesn't rot their brain on social media because that's where we're spending our time. Mm-hmm. And somehow you've let m- maintained like a healthy level of performance through that so that they have a piece of you, but they don't have all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're creating all that with a team and a family. Well, I think that's how we, you become a millionaire mm-hmm. um, because it's sustainable. Yeah. Sustainable access is what I'm trying to figure out. And it's not because I want to be a millionaire. I think a lot of people accidentally figured sustainable access out. Uh, One of my favorite YouTubers, his name is Casey Neistat. And I remember watching him and he was just this like crazy guy running around New York City. And he was older. Like it didn't make sense. He literally broke the internet when it came to what we thought a YouTuber was. You know, he's in his late thirties when he breaks and this is over a decade ago and he's just showing people his day and a very small portion of that is his talent. You know, a very small portion of that is what his business is doing and what he's trying to create. But people just wanted that access and he, you know, it got to the point where he was like, I, you all would follow me into my bedroom if I'd let you. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. People these days, man, people want... It's Truman that. Show. Yeah. It's Truman it Show really style is. stuff. And so what I'm trying to figure out is how to make pretty reels that feel good, that take people outside, that also portray me as who I portray myself to the world, which is the same. I'm the same at home as I am right here with you all. Mm-hmm. That's what my partner admires about me. And honestly, as I get older, that's what I admire about myself. Authenticity. Man. Yeah. I don't really, like, I'm, I, I told, I told her the other day, I believe this with love and I believe this with like your, your presented personality too. I, t- I was talking to her about how my love is unconditional. And I was like, I don't, I'm not a six speed bike, man. Like I don't have time to have these different gears like, oh, I just met you, so I'm only going to treat you this way. Mm-hmm. Or I just met you, and now you've been around for a couple of weeks, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you this way. Or now you've been around for a few years, and not, now I think I can trust you. So now my love is triple-doubled. Like, no, just here we are. We have found each other in the dark. <laughs> Before, it was just me and them, but now it's all of us. Okay, come on. <laughs> you'll get off the boat if it ain't the boat for you because <laughs> we're going to keep going this way 
Because mm-hmm. we're all together on this boat. So yeah. if you ain't coming, <laughs> you'll be swimming. Start swimming. Yeah, yeah we sure make sure, is that way. Yeah, we'll make sure you got a life jacket, baby. It ain't going to be, we ain't going to send you out there to die. Like, come on now. Like, I promise it ain't a bad way. And and I think it's the same with the social media thing. I'm trying to crack it right now. Because I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It freaks me out. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there is a level of performance, but I also think that there's a level of what do you want to see? Mm-hmm. And as long as you can keep that healthy balance of like, okay, well, this isn't like 1000% of me, but this is also, if I was scrolling through my feed, I would want to see something like this. This is real. This is something I can chew on. Oh man, it's been a long time since I've been in the woods. I'm sitting by a creek right now. Like, and this guy's just sitting here with his guitar. Mm. That's the kind of stuff I'm trying to figure out how to make. Like, what brings you peace in this chaos? <laughs> so when you were talking to me about career, when you're talking to me about people in those rooms playing 20 people, I I think about the the model that is the life that was lived by um mm, mm, mm. I've thought about his name for the last 10 minutes because I wanted to be a seamless <laughs> transition for you. Oh my gosh. He's... Don't worry, we're not going anywhere and we I can know. edit this part. I know. God <laughs> bless. Use your Google. No, I can't. Yeah, maybe I can. I'm so upset because I've... I, John Prine, man. John Prine. Oh, okay, yeah. John Prine. I asked myself, yeah. ask myself his name too fast. You ever do that? you like, Got it, and then you try and recall it real quick, yeah. and then just do we misfire? Yeah. This is episode one fifteen. Do you think we don't trip over shit all the time? <laughs> like, yeah. That was the, you heard the truck backfire right there. There's the jalopy. <laughs> yeah, but John Prine, I consider him a uh, um, a, a generational artist. Like John Prine was in the same rooms as everybody that's on every single person's shelf, you know, their grandfather's shelf of of music. He was in those rooms in New York City. He was helping write songs with them over coffee at two in the morning, you know, and like, he didn't pop. Sometimes there's only so much room in the world at one time for a person with a guitar. I'll never forget that. There's only so much room on the world stage for a guy with a guitar. Mm. And he... Mm -hmm had his time. It just didn't happen probably when his 29-year-old self thought it would. Yeah. And that's okay because he stayed the course and he built a family around himself and he figured out ways to be innovative. He was an entrepreneur and he made a way that at the end of that road completely opened. I watched him sing to a crowd of 40,000 people on the hottest day in the summer and f- at, at, at Bonnaroo in all black with his band and his family around him. And he was not a young man. I'm sitting there going, he's about to stroke out on stage. I'm, yeah. I would have stroked out on stage. I'm all black. Tilted sideways. Yeah, singing his <laughs> heart out and smiling and laughing. And, you know, beside me, there's like some 
cute 19-year-old. Behind me, there's some guy with his belly out and his bald head <laughs> shining just as much of his, as his belly was. You know, and it's just like, I'm like, this guy greased up out here. What in the world's going on? And then, you know, over here, you got the guys that just left the rave concert because they said, man, this is my grandpa's favorite musician. No shit. Be, the, in front of me, you got kids coming saying, oh, I heard this. This song just came on my Spotify. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's the kind of artist I want to be. Got chills, homie. I don't cool. care, man. I do not care. I'm just trying to do it low and slow so that it's sustainable authenticity. Yeah. And that's what he's... Dude, he's going to be around forever because when you put lyrics together yeah. like that, you're you're uh, you're undoubtable. Yeah. You're an undoubtable writer. And for me, that's like, a callback to what you were talking about. You just do it and you do it and you do it and you do it and it gets better and better and better and better. Man, I think that's a great approach. Yeah. Let's listen hey, to another tune. That's his, what you want to listen to. That's his wrap it up voice. Yeah. That's <laughs> no. a good idea. <laughs> you know what's cool. funny? The funny Next thing song. is. It's time for another tune. <laughs> Don't you use my line, yeah. man. You know what's funny about that is that's what he does every time. Every time he's ready. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Brad, what song you want to listen to, man? Well, Scott sent, Scott sent me one that he said no one's heard. I what? want to hear about that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we're listening so, to the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. So this this one is a, a song that was written uh, during the summer of of, uh, of just heartbreak in our city during the mm. the BLM movement that came out of the travesty of um, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And for me personally, that that summer was predated. I was already in a state of anxiousness because of Ahmaud Aubrey. Mm. That was my mother's worst fear. I grew up in a beautiful town tucked amongst the hills um, called Hurricane, West Virginia, but it's pronounced Hurricane. And, you know, when I would be running or jogging for football, getting ready uh, with my sweatshirt on, trying to sweat off a couple pounds so I could be a little bit faster and a little bit leaner. For the girls at the, at the wave pool, the Taze Valley wave pool, trying to look cute. It was a hurricane wave pool. Yeah, whoa, it was. It was, it was a hurricane. Hurricane, 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 hurricane wave pool. Hurricane wave pool. Come on down to hurricane wave pool. Two for one special. Um, and, you know, she'd say, baby, just take your hood off. And I'd, oh, come on, mom. Yeah. Baby, just come back now. Please come back to me now. And I'm like, this is freaking dramatic. Come on. I'm just going on a jog, mama. And I got it. I got it in a way I never wanted to get it. Mm. I never wanted to see that. No mother wanted to ever see that. It's the same thing with the Parkland Five. You know, it's like, that's not that long ago in pop culture history. Mm-mm. That was a travesty. Those kids were babies. Babies. Mm-hmm. And like, no one, no one just like went down to the jail and broke them out. They were kids. And they yeah. were, there was no way they could have been involved in that. And we all knew it. And we just walked away. And uh, to be honest with you, I think we were trying to walk away from the Ahmaud Aubrey thing too. I think it was just a little too weird, a little too much, and it was out of our control. It was done, right? We think that history writes itself in that moment. History does not write itself in the moment of the travesty. Mm-hmm. History writes itself in the reaction of the people to, that are supposed to hold other people accountable. Yeah. That's when history gets written because history is only written by those who survive it. Yeah. And thankfully, yeah, those, uh, those three idiots have, um, they've learned. 
hopefully more people than those three have learned. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. We're going to continue to learn. I mean, just it's not just moments like that. You think mm-hmm. about January 6th. I had a buddy that was there. <sighs> the buddy who I was, I was sitting with when I wrote this song. This song is a conversation. Who's going to call my mama? Um, mm. You know, he was, he was at the Capitol documenting it. And uh, he called me and he said, it's over, man. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's over. America, is, as we know it, it's over. He's right. The death of democracy. He was there that day. That's insane. And he called me. He was like, I don't know how we come back from this. And what did we do? Like, yet again, Nothing. we walked away from it. It was too much. It's too heavy. How can we perceive? How can we conceive? How can we punish? How can we? You just figure it out. Mm-hmm. And you try to be fair. You do what's you right. Do yeah. You do what's, you do do what's right. right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So this song is a conversation about uh, which one of us would call our mothers. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. right there. Yeah. All right, let's hear it, man. I said I'm tired. 
say Who's gonna burn my body Spread my ashes round got a feel to it right there man that feels yeah. like a spiritual mm-hmm. like yeah that gets you from the beginning because the riff is perfect i mean the riff just kind of it like it's almost it's different than anything you've done anything on wanted man by far oh, like yeah. it feels this is like grown man it feels like oh brother where art thou mm-hmm. entrapped in today's like i don't in, in idiosyncrasies or something yeah. it's it's wild but even in when you're singing Believe in Better Days, you changed up the chorus. It sounded like major. Uh, and, and the wording and the music sounded like they were making this thing like there is hope. Mm-hmm. And then you run back to the end, dude. That's, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know if uh, that was a thought process or not. If that was like, I'm going to make this bright as like, here's a little ray of hope. But No, man, that's just who I am. Like that's, that song is not just a conversation. That song is just like, what I've internalized. Like, that's just, what I'm doing right now is I'm writing music that is absolutely what is in my internal monologue. Like, that, that is what I believe. And honestly, it's not what I believe, it's what we deserve. You know, as, as a country, it's not that this doesn't exist in the world. It's just like, we've had a really good go at this experiment and it's, it's time to wake up and realize it was an experiment because what we experience as a black Americans, everyone's experiencing in their own micro idiosyncratic way. Like when you came to America, when your grandparents came to America, when your ancestors were forced to come to America, everyone gave up their truth. You literally had to come up with a new name. You were also given the chance at hope of a new life. And it's happening every day still yet through refugees and through people still making their legal and treacherous journey from whatever they're trying to escape to come to this new hope. Uh, and, and I think that that's a part of what we've done wrong in America is that we've We've let go of too much of where we came from, and uh, it's in my blood. It's in it's in my it's in my heart. It's in my fingers. It's you know I am American. I am mixed race by definition, and I think if we're all being honest, we're all jumbled up at this point. Oh yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm native and some type of European with red hair, and <laughs> and I'm African, and I'm just like y'all, like. What are you? I'm American. I could ask that a lot. What are you? And I'm like, I'm American, but and it's not because I'm so absolutely every single day of the week proud to be mm-hmm. from America. It's because I am a product of freedom and hope. And the experiment. And the experiment. Mm-hmm. And uh we gotta figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. come on because if man. we don't if we don't the experiment's gonna end <laughs> yeah man like and by soon I know it sounds dramatic I'm talking like in the next hundred years like yeah. it just will collapse nothing lasts forever 
it, the, the most important lesson in history is that we don't learn from the lessons of history. <laughs> and that's the truth, man. We've seen uh, empires collapse yeah. for hundreds of thousands of years. This one's going to be different. Yeah. America's going to be just fine, buddy. Don't you listen to that news. That's, that's that liberal education you got up there, and you need to let it go. <laughs> you must be educated. You must be educated. And I'm just like, listen, I'm not. I'm trying to live up here on this hill with you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, I like it up here on this hill. You asked me about success earlier. Success for me, it's something my dad and I used to talk about. He he used to get upset with me because I don't want I don't want a lot. And he was like, I'm not upset with you because you don't want a lot. I'm upset with you because you don't realize you can have what it is that you want. Mm. And I, that for me, that's two acres up on the high hill. Mm-hmm. And that's a home that I built with my hands and it's filled with breakfast with my friends and, you know, late night cobbler from the, from the, the jam that lasted way too long. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's it, man. That sounds pretty yeah, good. That's a great plan. Yeah. A good, great I just want to be an old man at a party going, how the hell is he still awake? And I'm like, oh, you think this is good? <laughs> at 4 a.m., I, I bust should... out the cobbler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shutting this shit down. Yeah. <laughs> if you stay up late enough, young blood, I'll make you some cobbler. <laughs> if there's cobbler at the end of a party, I'm staying up all night, bro. It's like one of our traditions back home in West Virginia. So, Scott, you have a uh, release planned for that song we just listened to? See, the thing about that is I, I was a part of a, an experiment, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> There's this beautiful singer-songwriter retreat that exists in Nantucket. And uh, they they fly so many artists out from the country every year. And this year, I was lucky enough to be one of them. I haven't wow. talked about it or wow. I haven't posted about it or anything. Not that I couldn't. It just seemed like it was too good to be true. And, and this it was last September and it just seemed like it was too good to be true. A lot of people were still going through COVID losses and trying to figure out if their business was going to shut down. I, I just didn't want to be like, I just got flown to Nantucket on a <laughs> plane and I'm about, about, you know, I just didn't want to be bragging or anything. And part of that was that I didn't think I deserved it at the time. I just... I was still going through a lot of loss, a lot of grief from losing my dad and my brother. And what I didn't know is that in the coming weeks, I was going to lose both my aunts in the same week. Uh, Good Lord, man. Yeah, to cancer. They both passed in a week to cancer while I was at that uh, retreat. And while I was there, you know, we had access to a studio and uh, we were on this, um, we were on this, this property that, it's been in this family for multiple generations and uh this the property i don't even know if it was estimated how much it was but i know the properties half its size were selling for you know in the 20s and millions of dollars you know and this property is just, it just was out of a magic book i remember the day i got the news about my aunts i had to i had to shut the blinds because i just couldn't i couldn't be sad there it was so gorgeous and I had never recorded anything myself in the studio, you know. I uh I've recorded my vocals more times than I could count at this point. I'm I'm getting pretty good at recording in the studio, my vocals, but I've never just walked into a recording studio that's set up with tools of the trade hanging on the walls and beautiful instruments, you know, and uh just created. 
and that was one of the things I made myself promise that I was going to do before I left. So I, I got the engineer that was there. He was the owner of the studio as well. His name was Caleb. And, um, we, we sat in there. I like to, I like to be up late. So what you hear on that is my crazy ass putting a microphone outside of the window. <laughs> Those are crickets from outside. For the, yeah, for the, yeah, the ambiance. Yeah, Cause I, I could that, hear yeah. him. I could hear him the whole time I was there. I was like, if I don't record these crickets, he thought I was crazy. I was like, listen, these crickets are a part of my Nantucket experience. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I call my girlfriend, she's like, there are the crickets again. Oh my God. <laughs> and it fits that song perfectly. Yeah. yeah. You know? And uh, so I stuck the, this expensive mic out the window and the, the late night do. Please don't yeah, drop it. Yeah. <laughs> late night do settling on this mic. And I'm like, you sure it's okay? He's like, I, at this point, just put it out there. Do what you want to do, Scott. <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy man. Who invited and, this guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and it's like they had to try to get me up there now too because you thought you had to try to get me up on this top hill it was a chore to get you to like, Nantucket what do you huh? mean you're trying to fly me somewhere <laughs> well, what's your name what's your daddy's name <laughs> well, what's your credit I, score yeah I don't know is this, this, is this legit <laughs> that's a question you gotta ask yourself Dude, man. I'm such a backwoods redneck sometimes I really <laughs> the amount of like goodwill I have turned down just because I was like nah man <laughs> sounds too good to be mm -mm, true my grandma said that's too good this stuff doesn't happen <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah absolutely <laughs> no man mm -mm, no mm -mm. <laughs> so I'm out there and I record this song my last one of my last nights in Nantucket and uh it's just, it's something that I had been sitting on all year and it's it's something that I still continue to sit on because that song is a conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. There's a lot. You, I could see I could see that song getting picked up by a movie one day. Mm -hmm. And oh, this yeah, might definitely. be foreshadowing right now. You know, Absolutely. Because like, it, it's one of those things like, I think if Lawless hadn't been recorded yet, I could see that in Lawless, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be hard. That's going to be a hard day for me because it's going to be like, do you want your song about racial injustice in a moonshiners movie that's mm -hmm. going to pay your bills for the next six months? Or do you want people to know the truth about this song? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what you say to that. I don't, I don't, yeah, maybe I, the right movie will come along. Yeah. No, I was going to say a lot of hope. people, I know what no. most people would say is just write the check to Scott T. Smith <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll figure out how to do it. <laughs> oh my God. What's his name? He used to say that about Blue Moon in Kentucky. What's his name? <laughs> oh Hank Williams? No. Who wrote that song? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bluegrass or what's his name? Oh man, he's such a good, he's like, Bill Monroe? The, yeah, Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe. Yeah. And, and Elvis covered it and Elvis was like one of the first people to cover that song and he really made it all rocking. <laughs> you know, the song originally is a ballad and, and they they interviewed Bill Monroe on late night TV one night. They're like, So what do you think about Elvis playing your song uh all all differently and whatnot? And he goes, What do you think about the way Mr. Elvis plays your song? And he goes, I don't so much just care for it, but I don't mind walking to the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, dang. Dang, good point. <laughs> you. I was like, I don't care. I, I heard Coolio say the same thing about Weird Al. Yeah, yeah he was like, I don't so much just care for it. But I don't We're turning butter. <laughs> so Scott, our uh, listeners that want to follow you more closely, where do they find you? Where do they find your music? Yeah. 
so I've I've been I've been uh, encouraged to lean into being an independent artist. Yep. And if there's one place that you can do that with uh without having to worry about a whole bunch of back end, you know, uh fees and this and that, it's Bandcamp band legitimately. I didn't I didn't get it. Well, you know I was getting ready I didn't to get buy it until like a week ago. I was going to buy your album and then mm-hmm. I remembered tomorrow was Bandcamp Friday. So that's, oh, why, is it? that's why I waited. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that means 100% of the 100% of the proceeds yeah. go mm-hmm. to the artist on so Friday, let's just right? Pay, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's just sit here and go. Thank you, Bandcamp. Yeah, 1201. Yeah. <laughs> and see, the thing that I didn't tell you is that Ellie Ruth and I flew out to Colorado. So my home away from home is the high plains of Colorado. Love and Colorado. Um, I got my family out there that they support me. And they're a part of this musical journey just as much as Ben is. That first tour Ben took me on was in Colorado. And I met a family that that realized that look in my eye, just like I did theirs. It, it wasn't just the authenticity. It was the the fact that we could trust one another. And their daughters have become my my nieces and they've become my brother and sister along with their other brothers and sisters. <laughs> and uh, on their ranch in Colorado this last year, uh, I flew out and I flew Ellie out. It's the first time I've ever done anything like that. Flew Ellie out, and uh, we lit a big fire in the backyard, and uh, we recorded a live album. It's Colorado, that ain't all they lit in the backyard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> not, on, yeah, not, not on that range. We didn't on that range. Oh, okay. but, you know, it, 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 it's a wild, wild west. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's crazy now looking back because I'm flying out to... Colorado here in a couple of weeks. And Do you need somebody to go with you? Or you can fly me out anytime. <laughs> All right, just putting that out there for you, Scott. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I'm flying out to Colorado here in a couple of weeks to play my my first ever like festival slot. Nice. And so, oh, yeah. It's yeah. Big, yeah, it's a big festival, and uh, I'm on there with people I listen to. That's what I was telling somebody. They're like, "What's so different about this festival?" I was like, "I'm." on the roster with other artists that I listen to on a regular basis, you know, like, it's a wild yeah. thing. So, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that and it's called the high plane sessions and it'll be out sometime this summer with mine and Ben Solis brothers album debut. We, uh, we recorded an album with some songs we both had been writing, uh, separately and, uh, we came together to finish them like we always do. We finished them together, and uh, we recorded them last summer, and so that'll be coming out this this uh, this summer. It's yeah, almost yeah. been a full year. We're gonna release it, and um, so I got a, I got a summer full of music coming up and opportunities to come see me play. So, well, yeah, I was I imagine that you had stuff coming out because when we went and watched uh, watched you at the portal, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. If, you probably played something off Wanted Man, but I don't think it was all four. Yeah. It definitely wasn't. Yeah. So I, that's what was my thought as I was thinking about it and listening to the, uh, Wanted Man today on repeat. Uh, I was like, man, I, I know he's got more music than these four songs because yeah. I heard it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so well, that's, that's, awesome, the, that's where we're at right now. A lot oh, yeah. of people are just like, man, I need these songs. Like, I've been listening to these songs for a year now. Like, I need you to find <laughs> some music. And I'm like, okay. Hold on, hold on. I think that's what we did with High Plains. I think we captured that authenticity. Like it, it's a lot of the songs from Wanted Man, but it's a great start 
for people hearing what it sounds like with me and my acoustic mm -hmm. and and my sister Ellie Ruth on fiddle. So, oh, yeah. oh wow, that's gonna yeah. be cool. Yeah. <sighs> and don't forget my favorite part. Fire singing along in the background. <laughs> it's like like the Netflix home screen. <laughs> Dude, there's nothing better than a fire. I was oh, thinking, yeah. you know, I was thinking about this today. I was thinking, man, my wife and I have more bonfires than most people for sure. We've had like four this week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have bonfires like every night. We have fires like Canadians have fires. It's like, <laughs> what are you going to do tonight, E? Oh, you hey. know, I'll be over here, E. Okay, well, if I get, if I run out of wood over here, then I'll come see you over there, E. Hey, man. <laughs> you have plenty Scott, of wood. Scott, we live in a forest, bro. Yeah. All I got to do is walk out the door. There's always wood. I walk about 10 feet into the forest and yeah. go, hey, we is. got some fire starter. We're good to go. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> Uh, well, Scott, man, we appreciate you talking yeah. with us. Thanks for yes. the Sazerac well, and the good uh, conversation, boys. Did we, I don't think we said where uh, where they can find you, yeah. did they? Instagram Scott and all that, where at? likes this. Type it in. There you go. I've also Scott done a lot of this. good work out here, y'all. Just type in Scott T. Smith. I'll pop up, too. But you got to put that T in there. Gotta put Scott the T. T. Smith. You just type that in on Google, and then you just follow wherever you well, see What's that your, T stand for? T-bag. Hey. Some, some things are better left T-bone yeah. Scott T-bone yeah. it stands for T yeah. T man T T-A smooth like T we're gonna All go right. out with Peacemaker tell us a little bit about that one Peacemaker is one of the first songs I ever put together yeah Peacemaker came to me and it was a, it was this uh, I remember it was the the hook was uh, I couldn't save her or buy any peace of mind so I brought my peacemaker that old core 45 and uh that's i just remember i was like i don't know who hurt me but man, wow. i was like if this isn't a murder ballad if i ever heard one i just i didn't know i was gonna write a murder ballad for my second song but i really i went to town on it and you know she let she she he he took her from me in the song and and i'll i think by the time I was done, the West was never the same. <laughs> everybody, right. everybody was done. Everybody was smoked <laughs> in this song by the time I got done. All right, let's check it out. Yeah. Thanks again, Scott. Yeah, hey, man, you know, thank you. Thank you, guys. When I came to I was holding a picture of you the golden light There he lay The last soul to fade away Now I'm free to ride away From this broken life Ooh. Oh It was a hard desert night out on the run And all my blood started to boil to the top And I lost all my sight for just a moment I couldn't save her or buy any peace of mind 
He must pay 